welcome to a Porg Talks Disney, the show where a super fan named a Porg talks about anything and everything Disney with fellow fans across the fandom spectrum. Hello and welcome, fellow Disneyers, to another episode of a Porg Talks Disney. I am your humble host, a Porg, and I'm joined today with Smile. Howdy. In today's episode, we're here to talk about certain characters that have been held near and dear to our hearts. And those characters are what we would call Disney good guy sidekicks. So, however, before we begin, I would like to take a moment of silence for Samuel E. Wright. As many of you know, and for those of you that don't know, Mr. Wright was a talented actor in cinema and theater, but we all know him best as the voice of Sebastian the Crab from Disney's The Little Mermaid. With that being said, rest in peace, dear Samuel. So, now that that's been pushed aside for the time well-being, um, I do want to start off the discussion a little bit with that character. Because while Sebastian the Crab wasn't our first sidekick, okay, there's been many who came before him. I feel that because of his connection to the Disney Renaissance, the the movie, the fact that The Little Mermaid is the movie that kind of put Disney back on the map, I feel as though he kind of set a precedent that kind of would follow him in the many sidekicks that we would see past this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. And he's personally one of my top favorites just because, like I said, he, it was, he was like the pioneer for me. Like I didn't know the other sidekicks before him until I got older. The Little Mermaid was one of my first Disney movies. And what, what were yeah. the sidekicks that came before him? Timeline well, wise, we can consider the dwarves from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, the rats, not the rats. Oh, that's so mean. The mice. <laughs> the rats. The rat. <laughs> the mice from Cinderella. Uh, mm. We can also consider Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell is also a sidekick to Peter Pan. And Jiminy Cricket is Pinocchio's sidekick. And there's just, like, a whole bunch more. Like, that's just kind of the tip of the sidebird, uh, sidekick iceberg. I don't know what English is. <laughs> like, it's, it's, a, it's a rich history. It's a legacy, we'll say. Mm-hmm. But I think... Sebastian paved the way of what we iconically now know 
is a Disney sidekick. Like, for me, what makes a good sidekick is the fact that these characters, yes, they're there to give your protagonist or your hero or your princess some kind of emotional support and wisdom and guidance and all that stuff. But they do it in a way that kind of makes you as a viewer connect with them. Like when Sebastian decides to help Ariel, it it's that moment of, you know, somebody in your life who probably pretends to be all rough around the edges, but when you need them most, they kind of turn into a soft shell and, and, and they help you and they care for you and they look out for you. And they also kind of provide what I just call the, the iconic Disney thing, which is the laughing trope. They're usually our comic relief in one way or another, like, Oh my God, the list goes on forever because, you know, you've got um, Olaf with the, oh, oh, look at that. I've been impaled. You've got Hey Hey, who, by the way, is voiced by an actor. Unlike the many previous Disney animal sidekicks, I'm sure some of them were also voiced by people, but Hey Hey specifically was voiced (laughs) by... Uh, the same guy who voices like King Candy, the Duke of Weasel Town, and a few others. And he went to Juilliard for that. <laughs> he did, he did. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they, they provide our comedy. You also have like, you know, Maui with the whole him being self-absorbed and just the song of his is very funny and entertaining. You have the genie who is honestly the king of comedy when you come to all of these Disney sidekick, like the heroic ones. You have Mushu, another very iconic guy. And they, and they all kind of share that trait of they're funny. They make you laugh. They make you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. And then I think the third thing that the sidekick has is in the terms of the Disney archetype is that they usually seem to have a song it may not be a bopping song but it's a song that stays in your memory some of them not all of them i don't think that that's yeah like i said not all of them but like for example hi ho once that's in your head it doesn't go away (laughs) (laughs) what i would actually define a disney sidekick as is actually Obviously, a secondary character, usually comic relief, right? Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the time, they are comic relief. But the, I think the more important factor is they have to balance out a weakness of our protagonist in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the the case of Sebastian and Ariel, Sebastian is the worried, more thinking side where uh Ariel's more free spirited and just kind of does what she feels is correct. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to look at like other ones. Uh you've got like Tinkerbell who is 
kind of some more of the negative emotion that Peter Pan lacks and kind of the sass that he doesn't have. He's She's a bit of the bite that he's lacking, you know? Or like Piglet for Pooh uh, functions very similar to Sebastian that Piglet's like the worried trope, but Pooh doesn't yeah. have a care in the world. Yeah, he's, Piglet is the what if and the hold on, let's think about it. And mm -hmm. Pooh's just like, no, it's great. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. And or in the, like, that's not logical. <laughs> in the first one, Vanellope is kind of the childlike wonder that Ralph lo lost after all those years of getting thrown off a building. <laughs> Out of context, that sounds really strange, huh? Yeah, that's why I, mean, I was like... Just casual. Huh? <laughs> casual. So many years of being thrown off a building. Like, wait, did they survive? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I feel also... Um, You've got, you've got Genie who compliments Aladdin. Like Aladdin is insecure; he feels he has to be something he's not to win Jasmine's attention and affection. And the Genie is his constant reminder of, you know what? You're pretty amazing as you are. I think you should just be yourself. They also contrast each other in a really fun way in that Aladdin is an entirely free spirit, literally held down by nothing, having no like wealth or uh, lands or peoples that he's connected to. So he's literally able to go wherever he wants, do whatever he wants. But Genie is restricted in that regard, uh, like a hundred times over because of his constraints. I agree. And by the end yeah. of the movie, they actually swap roles, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, because you get the genie who gets his freedom. And, and then Aladdin settles down and decides, you know what, maybe it's not too bad to have people to look after and a place to stay. Exactly. And when you look back at that, there's also, I think another good notion about this is also support. Because there's a lot of touching moments. So in that moment, exactly when genie's free and he's like, you know, all excited because he's never been free his entire life. So it's like, oh my God, I'm free. But he, he kind of stops and takes that moment and turns to look at Aladdin and Aladdin's like, I'm going to miss you. And he doesn't say it with the context of like, oh, I'm going to miss having a genie who grants my wishes. He sounds like he's going to miss his best friend almost. Mm -hmm. And genie gets touched by that. And he's like, I'm going to miss you too. And don't, no matter what anybody says, you're still a prince to me. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That is so fucking cute. <laughs> or you have um, Sebastian. One of my favorite support scenes that he has is when he's trying to tell Ariel how to get Eric's attention. And he's like, you know, doing that. You bat your eyes like this. And then you pucker your lips like this. And as he's saying that, Ariel is so exhausted by the day that she just falls asleep completely. <laughs> she didn't hear a word of what he said, but he just kind of crawls over to her and he gently like pushes her hair back. He's like, you're hopeless. You know that. And then he just like curls up right next to her to sleep. It's kind of like he's watching over her, even though she didn't hear everything he had to say, he's still providing that guardian support over her which is very cute. And then another iconic one that I remember is Mulan 
because of that scene where she finally gets found out. It's her and Mushu. They're alone with the other two in the snow. And and Mulan kind of has this moment where she breaks. And she's like, maybe I didn't do this for my dad. Maybe I did this because I wanted to see somebody worthwhile when I looked at myself. And she's, and she's like, but I don't see anything. And, and Mushu tries to do the comedic support bit at first. Where he's like, oh, that's just because this helmet is uh, dirty. Let's, let's clean it up. And he holds it up there and he's like, look at you, you're so pretty. And he sees that that's not helping her really and so that's when he decides to tell her the truth that he's just as much of a fraud as she is (laughs) and that at least though she did this she did this with the better intentions which is something he couldn't do and even though they're both going to be in trouble for it he reminds her that I'm with you to this I'm with you through this to the end we got each other I think that's probably the trickiest part about making a sidekick is having contrasting parts of the sidekick to the hero, Mm -hmm. but also still having them being able to connect on specific subjects. Yeah. Because if you have too many oppositions, then you are not really a sidekick. You're more of a lancer or just like a mini antagonist, basically. But if you have yeah. too many similarities, you've just created a carbon copy of your hero. Exactly. You've created a yes man, which is just boring. Yeah, and so having that creates that the balance. You need that dynamic of the push and pull almost. And and you see it, like I said, we've we see this many times, right? Like these are just smaller instances, but for example, a good indication of what you just said is the dynamic between Lumiere and Cogsworth, where, again, you have Lumiere kind of encouraging Belle to do whatever she wants, and then you have Cogsworth trying to remind them both that that's not how shit works. (laughs) It's the devil and the angel on your shoulder. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They're the the devil and the angel cronks on her shoulder. (laughs) And, and yeah, like, then there's also, I'm trying to think of a more older reference. I think we can go back to the Peter Pan and Tinkerbell dynamic because while Peter Pan is very carefree and what have you, he doesn't seem to have, like, his only super negative trait is his immaturity, right? But then you have Tinkerbell's negativity that kind of balances off what's good about him, and it's her viciousness, <laughs> because remember she tries to kill Wendy <laughs> she very well does twice actually no twice yeah <laughs> and it's you know like again you have Peter Pan that's very like optimistic and doesn't ever see anything wrong and, and he's not a vindictive type of individual so she's pretty much the spice to his sugar, basically. Mm-hmm. Or another really fun uh, sidekick dynamic that actually I think falls to the wayside a little bit, which is kind of sad because these characters don't get much attention. Which one? Um, that? For the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ah. Quasimodo's kind of 
a character who's defined by their naivete and lack of experience within the world. Mm -hmm. And the gargoyles sort of act as this older, more experienced figure that kind of try and push in the correct direction. Yeah, because they're the ones who kind of convince him to go out for the Festival of Fools. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who like try to remind him that Esmeralda does care about him. Uh, not in the way that, that, that she, ex you know, he expected her to care, but still the same. And then at the end, when he's kind of like, this is hopeless. And they remind him, hey, this isn't hopeless because you've got the power to still do something. Mm. Whereas we're made of stone. And there's nothing we can do. They know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. And if you want to get really deep with that symbolism, you can almost, this is kind of sad, but the gargoyles, while they're quote unquote magical, it almost feels like they're just a reflection of Quasimodo's more mature side that hasn't fully developed yet. He's mainly just arguing with himself because the yeah. nobody else sees the gargoyles. Yeah, and I'm just like, Oh, wow. Shit, that's sad. <laughs> and actually, I can make it worse. <laughs> He's his own sidekick. <laughs> What's uh, worse? They're kind of this rather dark reflection when you look at it on a deeper level, because Quasimodo, on his base level, his primary motivation is loneliness, right? Right. But Quasimodo is so lonely that in fact, instead of having a single gargoyle or sidekick that he would comfort himself with, he kind of isolated himself more by having a group of gargoyles that act as parental figures. Oh, wow. So even in his yeah. own mind, he is still the outsider. That's so sad. It is very sad. <laughs> I love that movie. It's very good. <laughs> it runs very deep. And we'll probably, you know, this is something that we can definitely talk about more because Disney Heroes is also a topic that I will eventually want to discuss. Or even just singular movies by themselves. Um, mm -hmm. But another um, character dynamic in this, like, sidekick pal bit are your, what I call your Ray of Hope characters. And the two most prominent ones, in my personal opinion, are Rei from Princess and the Frog and Sisudatu from Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, so, that's not what I was thinking. Uh, well, in my opinion. So you have Rei is your ray of hope in Princess and the Frog because he sort of sees everything that we as the audience see where he can tell that Tiana and Naveen are, are eventually meant to be with one another because of this experience that they're going through together. And he openly encourages it. And even in that moment where he and, and, and Tiana see Naveen getting married to, the, to Charlotte. Yeah, he insists you know, that there's, there's gotta be another situation. Yeah, that there has to be another answer. And, you know, he goes looking for it. And when he finds it, he takes another step in hope in where he becomes 
the hero in a sense. He brings the thing to Tiana, the little necklace, and he tells her, you know, don't let him get this. You need to run. And he sacrifices himself for her, essentially. And to me, that is like kind of the whole point of what it means to feel hopeful. And and I think that's why it hits me so hard when Facilier kills him because it is literal. It is the literal dashing of hope, <laughs> which yeah. I think is so messed up. And then I really think that Sisu is also, and because of the fact that she, you have Raya who is overly critical about the world, rightfully so. She's been through shit, and she's seen the shitty parts of what it is to be human. And then you have Sisu who is almost childlike and wants to believe that there's good in the world. And even when she gets screwed over, because Sisu does get screwed over, she almost gets killed by the, the, the old lady. I forgot what city they're, they're in. I think it's Talon. Fang? No, no, Fang's the other one. Fang is the one where Namari is from. But the, the town that's on the water, there's like this little old lady that she was the new chief. Oh, of... no, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and she almost kills Sisu. Yes. And Sisu's just like, whoa, I can't believe she lied to me. And so instead of like that being the moment where Sisu is just like, you know what? Raya's right. I can't trust anyone in this world. This is bullshit, right? She still holds her hope. She's like, okay, so I had this one bad experience, but that's not going to speak for the rest of the experience. And she continues to try and show Raya that you have to be able to trust in people around you. You have to be able to hope in what's good of a person that you, by, by keeping yourself so isolated just because of one moment of mistrust keeps you in a, in a place where you are nothing but isolated. And that's not a good life to live. It's not healthy to be on your own and suspicious of everything around you. It's good to have a network of support. So that's why I said me, Sisu is a, a ray of hope type character. Yeah, I can see it. Sisu falls into the trust category for me. Like her entire arc is based off of trust, which is why I associate it with Mariah. Mm-hmm. So what is your idea of a hopeful character? Well, what I thought you were going to say was Timon and Pumbaa, to be honest with you. Why Timon and Pumbaa? Because Timon and Pumbaa literally represent the lighter side of things, that not everything in real life has to be dark and gray. They come at the point where the hero is at their lowest to show them that you can still have fun in life. And even Mm -hmm. when they go back to confront Scar, they're surrounded by apex predators in the hyenas. And rather than turn tail and run, they're like, you know what? Let's inject a little bit of light into this situation. And they dress and drag and do a hula. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can see where you're coming from 100%, especially because their entire song, Hakuna Matata, you know, it literally does, for those who might not know, in Swahili, it does mean no worries. Like, don't worry about it. And that's pretty much what Timon and Pumbaa are about. Like you said, yeah, shit's bad, but like, don't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So yeah, the, the, I agree with that statement. And I also, I also, we have a category of realistic sidekicks, I feel. Um, I say that, but like the only one that's coming to my mind at the moment is Philatides or Phil from Hercules because Hercules is our naive character in this story. He is a lonely kid, feels out of place, wants to find his place in the world, and feels just kind of the slap of reality. Where even like in his song, because like, so you want to be a hero kid? Well, whoop de doo. Mm-hmm. And he, like, even though he still does help Hercules, but he, he tries to get Hercules to open his eyes every time. And that culminates in that moment where he finds out that Megara is working with Hades. And while you would think that Phil is the kind of character who would try to rub it in Herc's face, he doesn't. He actually just doesn't know how to break it to him, but he knows that he needs to because he doesn't want to see his friend get hurt. So I feel like that's a realistic, that's like the realistic naive uh, dynamic. Mm-hmm. Another good realistic else. naive. Another good realistic naive is Zazu and Simba. Hmm, that's an interesting dynamic. I never thought of that. Or actually, an even better example. Uh, another movie that doesn't get talked about as often as I think it should. Uh, Pacha from The Emperor's New Groove is an excellent yes. slap of realism to Cusco's ridiculous ego. Absolutely, I agree with you a hundred percent. Absolutely right. Absolutely so right. He hits you hard with the realism. <laughs> he really does. And then, like, you know what I actually like the most about the that idea? Um, though Pacha's realism is realistic, he's also tries to. It's not from a place of like trying to knock Cusco down. It's not it's a cold more, realism. Yeah, it's more of like trying to humanize him because like you said, Cusco's kind of lost in his own world, his lofty yeah. world of him and and Pacha's here like, bro, wait, this is about everybody. It's not just you. You're not the only one who exists in this world. <laughs> you want to know something kind of funny, actually? Hmm. This naive versus realistic um, dynamic, it exists between two characters, but neither of them are sidekicks. Really? It exists between the, uh, Tiana and Naveen. You're right. <laughs> In where she tries to humble him. And he's just like, again, a character that is very lofty in his ideals. Um, and I want to talk about the last uh, character archetype in of sidekicks. What I call the cute sidekick. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. And uh, for me, the one that comes to mind immediately is Pascal. Uh, I have a different one. Oh, who's yours? I was going to say Baymax. <laughs> oh, Baymax is another. But I feel like, cause, okay, so Baymax, while he's very adorable, he's also impactful. Because he, he has... actually speaks and like, does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> he has impact. The thing is, is that he doesn't, because he's a robot, his personality traits are harder to define. Mm-hmm. It's like, you could try and argue hopeful for Baymax, but 
it's not a hundred percent true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. He's he he is more cute than anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, other cute sidekicks. Uh Cricky is a cute sidekick. Mm-hmm. He's just a cricket and he's there and he's adorable. You remember him because he because he's there. Yeah. Uh, Abu, I think, is another one. I was about to say that, yeah. And, Flounder. And Flounder. To balance like, out Sebastian. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have, like, Chip from Beauty and the Beast. Or... Gus and Jacques. Um, Gus and Jacques. You have... Um, oh, I'm trying to remember... From... Ah, it's like... <laughs> Am I allowed to count Lewis as a cute sidekick? Lewis, like, from Princess and the Frog? Yes. Absolutely, I think he is, because he's, again, he's a character that... It's not that Lewis is inconsequential, but he's kind of just, like, the dumb, oh my god, he's adorable, doesn't yeah. have a lot of... Doesn't have super depth. Is a little deep, but not so deep. Like, Ray, who who is... A more complex character. I find like another cute sidekick is Tigger. Yeah. Because he's just all about bouncing and joy and all that jazz. He's not very like reasonable by any means. Not that most of the characters from that uh, movie are reasonable. <laughs> not that the Hundred Acre Woods has reasonable characters to begin with, but. <laughs> I think the only like reasonable, reasonable one is Rabbit. <laughs> I was gonna say Christopher Robin. <laughs> oh, and Christopher Robin. Because <laughs> Christopher Robin eventually is like, yeah, I gotta go, guys. It's like <laughs> it was fun, but like I gotta get home. They're just like, wait, where are you going? Where are you leaving? <laughs> um, oh, Sven is also a very cute character. Does Frozen only have cute sidekicks? Because it's just Olaf and Sven. Well, I feel that Olaf is a little more important than Sven. And I think it's because of what Olaf is supposed to represent in the movie. He is a reflection of Elsa, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that, you know, as when Elsa runs off and she's like, you know, doing her let it go moment, she creates Olaf in that instance. And it's because she, that's the thing that she and Anna did as a kid and so all of Elsa's childlike innocence and hope and just good nature kind of get transferred into Olaf and I believe that is what ends up bringing Olaf to life so while he's silly right he's got that same archetype of the hopeful character where he's supposed to be your plucky optimism against all odds. Mm -hmm. And then you, but like Sven is just, oh my God, it's a cute reindeer. He's funny. I love him. (laughs) To be fair, I do feel that Olaf kind of serves double purpose. What's his other purpose? The the cute factor? Yeah. Like, he's a... If you look at the difference between Sven and... Olaf's Olaf is the marketable plushie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. And then, you know, like for Moana, you've got Pua. Mm-hmm. And hey hey. <laughs> yes. Uh Thumper, I would actually put in the same category. 
yes, Thumper also fits that category. But it's weird because Thumper also, like, all of the characters from that movie kind of fit the archetype. <laughs> it's a because... story about <laughs> cute woodland animals. So. <laughs> yeah, because, like, yeah, Bambi is our main character. There's no doubt about that. But, like, he's not the most in-depth character either. <laughs> <laughs> but from what we have, Bambi is a little bit more reserved. He's a little shyer, and Thumper balances him out in the nicest way. Of Thumper is excitable, energetic. He completes Bambi. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's what a good sidekick should do at the end of the day. Yeah, round out your your main character without stealing the spotlight. Where I think, in this case. Thumper failed because there are more Thumper fans out there than there are Bambi fans out there. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's always just like, oh my god, it's a cute little bunny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> to be fair, there are less there are less wildlife deaths attributed to rabbits than there are deer, so <laughs> people are naturally more drawn to bunnies in that regard. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> But um, so like okay, actually now that we're talking about this, let's let's jump into Zootopia a little bit. It, just because this is another bizarre moment where I don't feel that we have a sidekick. I don't think we do because we have a buddy cop system. We have two main characters, right? Yeah. Then, uh, most of the other characters don't have nearly enough time with them to be mm-hmm. considered sidekicks because they're not really secondary characters. Yeah, but I feel that they do this very interesting thing where they are two main characters. And like you said, it's the buddy cop archetype. So in a sense, while they're being main characters, they're also playing sidekicks to one another. Yeah, they round they're part of the whole thing with a buddy cop film is that both of your main characters have to very easily round out the other. Mm-hmm. But I think the primary thing that separates them from sidekick is just their A overall importance of the plot and then uh B uh the depth in which they interact with each other and the things around them. Exactly. So you know the way that you counterbalance this for those who are think who are thinking along with our discussion it's different from the robin hood little john archetype where robin was always our main focus and while little john was a character that could hold his own he was not the focus of our story he was more just a supportive system to robin so I think it's what differentiates that from, like, the Judy Hopps-Nick Wilde relationship. And, you know, like, like I said, this list can honestly, it can go on and on because we have, uh, that's one thing that I feel. I feel that obviously you need a lot of good elements, right, to carry a story. But the reason why we can go on and on when it comes to our sidekicks is because I feel that many times they they really help carry the weight of our story. They're, they're, they drive our plot forward. They cut our tension when we need them to. They provide our uh, 
our sympathy, our empathetic moments come through them. And when they break the fourth wall, they engage us to interact with the story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like a very like, it's a big list. And I also know that because of like, it's Disney, right? Which means that we get a lot of characters where they may not, they're sidekick characters, but they kind of annoy the audience. Like, just because it's a sidekick does not mean that it's always going to be a lovable character. Yeah, I know plenty of people who get annoyed with Olaf. <laughs> exactly. It's like, some people find Olaf annoying, other people are like, Tinkerbell is kind of a... Uh... <laughs> or they'll think that the mice from cinderella are are annoying um yeah so like they're when i think about that i try to think of okay so what's a who's a disney sidekick that's just kind of like irrelevant to me and i hate to say this but i think it's olaf (laughs) (laughs) and not that i hate Olaf okay like he's not the worst thing ever but when I think of all the other ones and I kind of rank them he's very low on the list (laughs) because I feel like his kind of personality is the type of personality that you can only take so much of at a time before you start going okay all right this is getting old Olaf stop Olaf be quiet Olaf please (laughs) yeah that's fair it's it's very true in my opinion, but uh, surprisingly enough, I actually don't think Olaf is the bottom of my list. So who's on the bottom of your list? Um, <laughs> it kind of gets put for two because they don't they basically only show up on screen together. Mm-hmm. So they're basically always put together, mm-hmm. and that is uh, Miko and Flit. Ah. Oh. Ah, from Pocahontas. Okay, okay. I feel you on that. They're very basic when it comes to, like, overall personalities. Like, they have one trait that really defines them. Mm-hmm. They have no spoken dialogue, which kind of hurts your ability to impact the story. Mm-hmm. And they're usually, like... They usually just have, like, weird background comedy, and that's about it. You're right, absolutely. They're so irrelevant in the sense to me that I even forgot that they technically are the the sidekicks of that movie. Because in my (laughs) mind, the sidekick of that movie is Grandmother Willow. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's rough when you get outdone by a tree, I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) It It is a rough style. And and it's weird because they're like you like you said their background comedy. I think I'm going to agree with you. It's almost borderline annoying at times, and it's therefore kind of takes away from the cute factor. So you yeah. can't even put them in the cute sidekick category. <laughs> it's not like Cricky, for example. Like, do Cricky and Mushu have a lot of like back and forth? Yes. Do Mushu and Khan have a lot of back and forth? Yes. But it's enjoyable. I like seeing it. They're not like, they're not they're not completely irrelevant. Yeah. And and um, and unfortunately, Flit and Miko are, which is weird because they're both 
they're cutely designed. I, I do love their designs. I think they're adorable, but they don't add much to the movie. <laughs> no, that movie is almost exactly the same without them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is bad because you want your sidekick to have a little bit of consequence. You can't have too much, but too little, and you get forgettable characters. Exactly. So in this in this roster of sidekicks, if you will. What's a sidekick that you would want? Like, this is your journey through life, and you've got a best friend. Who Who's your best friend? Who's your sidekick? So, the whole thing about a sidekick is they're supposed to balance you, right? Right. And I think that if you were talking about me personally, somebody who would probably do well to balance me out and would be a pretty good sidekick for me to have. It might be... It may be, like, either Baymax or Genie, I think. Yeah, interesting. How does Baymax round you out? <laughs> uh, because I have a pretty harsh skeptical cynicism for the world. Oh, that's true, that's true. Then you need a Sisu in your life. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't mind Timon or Pumbaa, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think my favorite psychic might just be Baymax. He is so freaking cute. <laughs> he is very cute. Is he like a, a major contributing psychic? No. But he's still the cutest thing ever. <laughs> Even without he, being like super contributing to the plot. He, he is a big has part a of the movie. Serious emotional value. Yeah, and he is a big part of the movie. Like you can't do the movie without Baymax. Yeah, because it's part of Hero's journey. Not the yeah. hero's journey, but our main character, Hero, his journey. That's gonna get really Hero's hero journey. Well, that's the thing. It's not about <laughs> his hero journey, because his hero journey <laughs> is not actually influenced by Baymax at all. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> his personal growth, his emotional journey that he goes through is influenced heavily by Baymax. Yeah. Because it kind of represents this whole, it's kind of representative of this hole that his brother had left. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, um, I don't know, I kind of would want a Sebastian because and and that's not because he would round me out in any way shape or form it's mostly because sebastian basically um what is the word we can just sit there and be grumpy together <laughs> <laughs> and that's why i kind of would like to have a sebastian sidekick but for somebody who would round me out somebody that i would need in my world i think Sisu is actually the one that I need in my world because I do like to keep hopeful outlooks but most of the time I'm kind of always surrounded with the negative and sometimes I lose sight of the fact that there is good in the world and that in order to have that you have to be able to put that out there to start with. And I think that Sisu would be a good character to remind me of that mm. from time to time. And I don't mind Aquafina's voice. <laughs> 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 so, 
so it'd be cool. <laughs> and I guess if I want to go for like a more uh, classic sidekick that could give me that same bit, um, I think Genie. I think Genie could be a very uh, helpful, hopeful individual. Mm-hmm. Or even the mice from Cinderella. I don't know. But speaking of both of these characters, they are actually known for music. And while well, I said it at the beginning of the podcast, yeah, there is not every sidekick needs to have a song. But yeah, we've, with so many sidekicks, it's really hard to have a song for all of them. Right. But some of them have some pretty iconic songs. And, and I'm going to call them downright bops. Exactly. And I'm, <laughs> I'm honestly going to start with the ones that I mentioned, the mice from Cinderella, that whole Cinderella song. It's probably not the most fun song, but like, you know, you're sitting there going Cinderella, Cinderella, night and day is Cinderella. <laughs> that song for the next three weeks. And when somebody asks you what's wrong, you just look at them and go, they're in that my head, the mice. <laughs> And then you get arrested for <laughs> mental illness. But for more actual bops, we've got <laughs> we've got friend like me. Oh, for sure. For one of sure. the most iconic songs in Disney, right? And then another iconic song. This song, I think, I think it won an Oscar, and it was "Under the Sea." Mm-hmm. So. It's another bop. It's so much of a bop that it's been redone by other artists so many times. And it's um, always the same. And it's so good. <laughs> I will actually hit another really good sidekick song, which I think has a Broadway equivalent, if I'm not mistaken. Is it a Kuna Matata? It is a Kuna Matata. <laughs> it means no worries for the rest of your days. Like... These are these are what we call Disney staple songs. When you think of Disney, maybe not for like the generation before us because they didn't grow up with these. We did, but like you know, now if you go back and you look down the timeline that is Disney, these are songs that are woven into the fabric mm-hmm. that you hear all the time, everywhere. Um, honestly, uh, and I think I my favorite. Who are under the sea and friend like me they're just they're just how could they not be you know they're such good songs and then you've got be our guest which is another iconic song oh yes for sure um and where you have literally the whole cast of sidekick and in an uh inanimate objects sing <laughs> the myriad of sidekicks that movie has like one too many fucking sidekicks if you think about it you got Cogsworth, Lumiere, Mrs. Potts, Chip, the freaking Ottoman dog that doesn't talk. <laughs> I'm going to actually, so my two favorite sidekick songs, one of which uh, you already mentioned is uh, Friend Like Me. It's just, it's so hard to hate it. Honestly, it's such a Honestly, good song. It's I so agree. strong. It's strong. But the other one. It's a little bit more obscure in, in that when I mention it, everybody's going to go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but I just I love the songs from this movie. Mm-hmm. But Bare Necessities, the Lose song. You're right. The book. That is another bop. That's I love that song. It's a predecessor to the ones we just talked about. <laughs> yes, it is one of my favorites. It is not my favorite from that movie, surprisingly enough, because there is another boy who just has an amazing song. But, but if you want, if you want that bop of a sidekick jam, Bare Necessities is where it's at. Yeah, and if it's you kind want of my like favorite song from that fucking movie. It is "I Want to Be Like You." Absolutely, that's a villain. Oh that's a villain God. bop for the ages. Yes. <laughs> Well, actually, yes. like, when you said that, you know what it made me realize? That Bare Necessity is kind of the predecessor to Hakuna Matata. It is very similar <laughs> in essence. Down to the fact that it's even sung by animals. Yes. <laughs> they are both songs sung by animals with a lot of food involved, if you want to count Hakuna Matata's food. Bug segment. Yeah. <laughs> And they both kind of give you that. Just not worrying so much. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you need to take a step back and go, you know what? It's a personal day for me today. It's just the bare necessities. Hakuna Matata. (laughs) All right. So when's our Lion King Jungle Book crossover? When do Mowgli and Simba team up? (laughs) When does Mowgli ride Simba into battle against Shere Khan? (laughs) And Scar? Yeah. Oh my god, that's a Disney villain duo for the ages. Sheer Khan and Scar. Scar. That's terrifying. It's literally a lion and a tiger. How much more like dangerous can you get? Actually, you want to get more f- dangerous, you add more mm. do. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, oh my. my. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of danger. Especially like if you add more due to that mix, because that thing is just brute strength. That's just a big boy. (laughs) But yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Bare Necessities was a good one that I didn't think of. But if you want to actually jump real quick, speaking of more due, let's jump into Pixar for a moment because Toy Story's got one of the best sidekick songs. (laughs) You got a friend in me. Like, is that really a sidekick song? It is because it's Woody's song at the beginning. It's Woody's song to Andy. That's kind of like the whole bit. And then inevitably it kind of becomes the theme song for him and Buzz. So, I mean, it's literally the epitome of a sidekick song. It's you've got a friend in me. You've got troubles. I got them too. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for you. So it's like, but that's why I would actually argue this song is less of a sidekick song, more of like a dynamic duo kind of thing. I suppose, yeah, in a sense it can be. Yeah, because, it, the, again, Woody and Buzz fit that archetype of, like, the buddy-buddy. Yeah, like buddy cop, dynamic duo. Uh, and, you are a toy versus Starship. Uh, <laughs> the Starship needs me, y'all. I gotta go. <laughs> I know. I was like, no. I remember when I first saw that movie. It's just like, what is Buzz on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. It's, it's probably drugs. It's the battery. 
Uh, his paint was a little wet when they put him in the box, so the paint fumes were getting to him. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm trying to think of another bop of a Disney sidekick jam, and I'm uh, I I, I kind of do really enjoy One Last Hope from Hercules. It's kind of a mean bop. <laughs> <laughs> But it's still kind of, it's a memorable bop all the same. And oddly enough, um, it's not my favorite, but it is still a good song. There is A Guy Like You, which is the song that the gargoyles sing to mm-hmm. Quasimodo when they try to, like, uplift his spirits. And I'm like, yeah, that technically does also count as a sidekick song. What I'm wondering is, does that weird, does that, like, little, not weird, Forgive me. But that weird little... I said it again. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hit him with it twice. I don't want... Because like, I don't want to say it's weird. It's weird for me because I don't understand the language. But the chant that Grandmother Willow sings to Pocahontas, it's... I don't, you know what's the sad part about that? I don't even know what Native American language that is. It is a Native American language. Which to one be, it is. To be fair, <laughs> there are a lot. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know. It's just, I think it's kind of crazy that the movie never really specified to us what culture are we looking at? Well, because the major thing is that like, the Pocahontas movie doesn't really specify what Native American people's Pocahontas tribe would have been, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, Pocahontas was a Native American, and I forget which tribe she was a part of. Is it Powhatan, maybe? Does, is that a... It's a little shocking how little we know about Native American history. To our Native American listeners out there, we are deeply sorry. Educate us, please. <laughs> uh, Powhatan. Okay, okay. So, all right, I wasn't oh, totally hot. wrong. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I'm now very, very nervous. <laughs> I, think, I think it is Powhatan. I think something close to it. If anybody out there wants to help us, please feel free. <laughs> dying out here. <laughs> <laughs> Throw us a lifeline. We don't want to drown in... in ignorance <laughs> but um but yeah does that count as a sidekick song i am not sure honestly <laughs> because like there's the english part of the, the english translation where she's like tells her like hey listen to your heart and that's why i'm just like kind of because it's a little mm. bit of on the supportive side it's her trying to guide pocahontas Oh my god, I've just remembered something. Uh, what? <laughs> well, well, let's finish talking about Pogahatas for a second here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I suppose you could count it. It's soft, it's somber. It has very musical qualities to it. So Yeah. It's a so little we'll, gray, but we can we, we, we can throw it in there. I mean, we'll throw on. it in there. Native Americans need their recognition, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> They make another one and make it good. <laughs> we have failed to mention um, a sidekick. With a good jam? Uh, not with a good jam, just we failed to mention them in general. 
who? We haven't talked about them the entire podcast. And I, it's kind of sad, but it also makes a lot of sense because I don't really count the sidekick as very memorable. Um, Turk from Tarzan. Oh, you know what? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and like, here's the weird thing. Her song, it's a bop. Her song is a bop. The music from Tarzan is a bop. It goes hard. It's like ridiculously good. And I just thought of another sidekick, Bob, mind you. It's it's Maui's You're Welcome. Yeah, I was going to mention that after because <laughs> Maui's You're Welcome is... Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, just... it's, the, it's the piece de resistance. <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne, Apparently Dwayne, Dwayne. Sing. And he can do it well. Yeah, which is weird to think about this... Uh, for, well, I don't know if he still does it, but... The, the pro wrestler, just a big bodybuilder dude singing. <laughs> Disney style, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same problem I have with, um, I think it's Liv, uh, The Greatest Showman and uh, oh, with Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman singing, because I'm like, that's Wolverine. Wolverine <laughs> sings. Wolverine sings. There's something wrong here. <laughs> can feel it in my bones. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. So, you know, like, actually, not actually, really, I, Oh, sorry. Uh, it. Now that I think about it, it's just for those of you out there that don't know, we we really like The Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's also the reason why we enjoy that song so much. It's yeah, not just part of it. It's not that it's just a bob, and it's not just that visual. It's just well, it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Duh. <laughs> what you were saying? Can we touch on? Uh, newly acquired Disney sidekicks. Newly acquired Disney sidekicks. What? Who are we speaking of? I'd like to give a little bit of recognition to the droids. <laughs> <laughs> the many droids in our life that have <laughs> recently droids. become Disney property. Uh, from R two D two all the way to K two S O. You're right. Uh, Star Wars droids have now technically joined this Disney cast. sidekicks. Yeah. All right. When's the R2-D2 song? Yeah. Come on, R2. Let's go. They should team up with Daft Punk. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> let go. Maybe Skrillex, even? Because I know Daft Punk's now retired, so Skrillex? <laughs> Either way. Let's or do DJ it. Tiesto. Let's go. One of them. Do it. <laughs> But yeah, no, I agree. Because uh, actually, it's great. it's kind of funny because R two kind of fits into the same vibe, I feel as Pascal does, even though R two physically does not convey any emotion throughout the entire films. Like, there's no way to really pinpoint <laughs> what he's thinking or what he's feeling. Yeah, but he still sounds sassy. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. I agree, especially when he and 3PO have their back and forth. Yeah. You're just like, I don't know what he's saying to him, but... It's sassy, I know that. <laughs> he's back sassing this man. And then you have um, you have BB-8 who fits the cute archetype of just, mm -hmm. it's cute, look at it. Look at it roll. <laughs> look at him spin. Look at him go. <laughs> and he's also, like, I also, BB-8 also has a personality because there's that iconic scene where uh, Finn gives him the thumbs up, and he's like, "Yeah, thumbs up." <laughs> it's 
amazing how much these astromechs can convey emotion without ever saying words, having any facial features or movement of it, body. It's weird. It is very weird. It's, it it's, kind of goes to show you the human mind is willing to put uh, is willing to humanize anything. <laughs> honestly, because like let, let's look at the other ones that can speak. So you know, three PO and K two S O, where again they're not showing any emotion, but at least in their voices you hear it. Versus R two D two and 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 BB that they're just literally blips and bloops and beeps. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you tell them R2. Go, get them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to actually talk on a lesser known droid companion. Is it um, IG? The IG from Mandalorian, you mean? Yeah, IG-11. Uh, not who I was thinking of, but he is a lot of fun, and he I is. love that he is a babysitter. <laughs> he was the best damn babysitter in the in world. <laughs> direct contrast to his original programming. Um, <laughs> but no, the one I was actually talking about was um, from the Star Wars Fallen Order, the, the video game. Uh-huh. Our main character has a little a little droid companion named BD1. Ah. Who sits on his shoulder and will occasionally backsess the main character. But we still once again have absolutely no idea what he's saying. He is just beeping and booping. So are you trying to tell me that this main character has like a parrot? Yeah, it, it sits on his shoulder. That's amazing. It's beautiful. <laughs> That actually brings me to a live-action Disney sidekick. Oh? Cotton's parrot from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> he technically counts. He's, uh, to... he's Okay, so it was from the very first one. It was that guy. Oh, the one who doesn't have a tongue? Yeah, so the parrot, parrot talks for him. Yeah. Is... <laughs> I would actually argue that's probably not a sidekick. It's not? I feel like it is. No, I think the sidekick for the Pirates of the Caribbean movie is Jack's right-hand man. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Mr. Gibbs. Yes, Mr. Gibbs, I would argue, is the sidekick for Pirates of the Caribbean. Actually, you know, that's fair. You're right. You're and right. That is. <laughs> it's weird to think about because we don't have as many human sidekicks. No, they're, yeah. they're there. They exist. They do they're exist. Real. But yeah, I agree with you. I could, I totally, Mr. Gibbs is up there. And then like, we'll do like, obviously for those of you out there that are listening, we're talking mainly about heroic sidekicks and I, I we're not blind. There are a myriad of villainous sidekicks. We know we know Iago exists. <laughs> we know Iago exists and, and, and many others. It's just that because of the fact that we've suffered a, another loss in in the passing of Samuel E. Wright, I I just thought it was more appropriate to only focus on 
are heroic sidekicks because of the fact that he did play one. He played Sebastian. And then, of course, you know, a few years back, we also lost Robin Williams, who was the genie. And I don't know, just as, as, as a kid who grew up with these, I don't think I can lose any more sidekicks. <laughs> Unfortunately, due to the way that the human body works, I feel you might actually have to at some point. <laughs> it's too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. I, I, I think that uh, whoever is making this decision should probably space it out a little better. <laughs> like God, or whoever is out there in the universe, if you can like not let any more of them die, <laughs> I know that they have to at one point. But like, just wait a little bit. Can we my, like? Can we? Can we take a rain check? <laughs> <laughs> like, actually, you know what's so interesting? I actually legit when I found out that Samuel E. Wright died i cried i actually cried i've never cried for somebody i don't know in my whole life (laughs) but i think it was again because of the fact that sebastian was so impactful for my childhood continued to be an impactful character in my life and probably because I know a Sebastian in my life. Literally, my youngest nephew, his name is Sebastian. And no, he was not named for the crab. <laughs> but holy crap, I think he is Sebastian the crab. <laughs> they are very, very similar. So it holds a deeper, that character holds deeper meaning to me. And I, I, you know, after losing Robin Williams, that was very sad for me just because, like many, I thought he was incredibly talented and funny. And whenever I was sad, I would listen to his comedy routines. And it, it was sad to think that we're now living in a world where we won't get to hear him anymore. But I took solace in the fact that a lot of other people that have had the pleasure, have had the honor of playing Disney sidekicks and providing those same kind of laughs and stuff, that they're still here with us. And, and I think that's why knowing that, that Samuel E. Wright is gone is, is very sad for me. It, I don't know. It just, it hit me hard. It hit me harder than I ever expected it to. But, you know, that is the way the, the, the cookie crumbles. This, this part of life, it is what it is. But um, for the universe, or God, or whoever out there is listening, please stop. <laughs> like, please, give me a break. I Slow can't really handle so many bit. tragedies. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so actually, now that that we are talking a little bit about this to kind of close it off, how do you feel knowing that 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 he is also gone? Uh, it doesn't hit me quite as hard, but that's primarily just because 
in my mind, I kind of rationalize deaths as it's, it's very natural in my eyes. It's like it's gonna happen. So it's better to be glad for the time you were given than to miss the time you didn't get. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, so like when I ask, it's because it's not that like, oh, you have a personal connection to it, but this is also a voice that that you've known your whole life. Yeah. So like is it sad to know that that's it? You're not you're never gonna really hear it again in terms of future content. It is sad to know that, but As with it is what it is. You can't it's not like yeah, it's not like you could just say, Well, I'm gonna reach in and yank this person back. You can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't know. I I agree with you in that sense. It is more important to value the time that we have but it uh, it is always a little bit crushing when something that you've known or has brought you some kind of joy it's not necessarily lost forever right because we have these iconic movies and songs and countless interviews countless shows where you can see that person again and again and again. But it is a little sad to think that in the long run, they're no longer here. And so when you will see new content featuring that character, it's not going to be the same person anymore. And it's, that's a little bit of a bummer. It's not, the, yeah. it's, it's not the most crushing thing in the universe, but it's a little sad. <laughs> um, and I think, with that being said, um, we're going to call it a, a day here at Aport Talks Disney. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This is now officially our seventh episode. Holy crap. We're actually like getting to like, we might be hitting 10 episodes. Like, we're three episodes away from that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, and a little uh, reach out to the fans. If you want to head over to our Twitter and tweet us your favorite sidekicks, love to hear it. Absolutely. Let us know who are your favorite sidekicks. Let us know if maybe they're, you don't have one. What if there's a sidekick that annoys the crap out of you? Let us know who that is. Uh, if there's a memorable jam that you will never be able to get out of your head. Let us know. And you can find us at Pord Talks Disney on Twitter. And we will see you very soon. Why? Because we like you. Bye. Well, my fellow Disney nerds, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us here at Pord Talks Disney. If you enjoyed your time with us, please bip-bop that follow button and subscribe to our podcast to join us in future episodes. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at Pord Talks Disney, where you can be updated and notified on future episodes and participate by sharing your Disney dream topics with us. So we will see you real soon. Why? Because we like you.